So I'd like to start, if you just look at your, your sheet today of the Buddha's Noble Eightfold Path. <clears throat> I'm just looking through the list, right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And uh, this word, uh, underneath it has the Pali, and you see that underneath um, right is the word Samma, Samma. So it's very difficult to find a good translation for Samma in, in English. So it's, uh, it crops up in different ways. So right is the, is the general kind of much used translation. If you notice uh, as you go up to the, not that we, I'm encouraging you to go up there too far, but as you go up to the, the main hall at the top where the residential retreats are there's a prayer wheel and that also has the eightfold path written on it and there it uses the word wise wise understanding wise speech and so on and uh, in as far as I can understand the, the, and sometimes it's also translated as perfect perfect speech perfect action so that that if you if you pick that up in the right way that can be really really perfect but if you pick it up in the wrong way it can become something that you 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 know uh, criticize yourself over so that's a tricky one and the the it's not exactly a translation but more the the meaning that i like most is attuned attuned so you could say perfectly attuned or perfectly pitched so just as uh, if you have a, a, a musical instrument, like say a, a, a guitar, and uh, you bring it into this hall and then you, you tune it up so that it's just perfectly in tune, and then you can play something really good because it's in tune. And then maybe you take it outside where it's cold and then it all, it all changes and then you, you've got to tune it again, otherwise it's going to sound bad. So it's similar with the Eightfold Path. It's like it's an attuning to what is right, what's, what is... What is, what's, what is, uh, yeah, what is right? What is right in the moment? And uh, as we go into different situations in our lives and different circumstances, and also as we grow and our practice deepens and develops, the tuning up is different. It's not like there's a fixed thing, and we're always going to just turn the turn the uh, key this many you know degrees, and that'll always be right. It, it'll it'll vary depending on the circumstances we're in. So I like that translation of samma as, as like attuned. And um, like I said before, the, the Eightfold Path, it covers everything in our lives. So it's, it goes from, from actually the, the way we, our outlook, how we, how we perceive and experience life and, and uh, what's going on. And uh, and it goes into you know how we're using our mind, our speech, our actions, the work we're doing, um, the way we're cultivating effort, and then the, the <clears throat> mindfulness, how we're applying mindfulness to our daily life and also to our uh, meditation practice, and then uh, concentration, or and even the word concentration is a little, uh, I'd like to say, collectedness. So it goes through from from sort of the broad view to the practical to the to the practice, and uh, it can be it can be seen as uh, there are sort of three areas. So the first two, right, right understanding and right thought, 
are on, in the wisdom section. So they they kind of you, the the wisdom is knowing uh, the truth of the way things are. So right uh, samaditi or right understanding is uh, or perfect understanding or attuned understanding is an understanding that's attuned with the truth of the the, the ever changing nature of things. So um, there are two. There's there's the mundane right view and supramundane right view. These funny words. So mundane. Unfortunately, what we think is like, oh yeah, mundane. So that's kind of let's just skip that one. It's just mundane. But actually, they're both important. And one's one's pointing to the the conventional reality of of, of being a, a human being, having parents, you know, somewhere along the line, and. Um, that uh, there is a result to what we do, so it's not that we can do whatever we like and it, it's irrelevant. If we do good, there there'll be good results. If we do harm, there'll be harmful results. They might not be immediate, but they will come, both ways. Um, uh, so there are there are sort of various uh, ways of pointing to the the. That living as a human being, as a sentient being, what we do is and has an impact, and, and it's and it's relevant. It matters. So that's the the mundane right view, and that obviously isn't mundane. It's actually very important, but it's it's like relating on the on the sentient level of being a human being. And then there's the supramundane right view, which is four noble truths. So the truth of of dukkha that. Uh, there is dukkha, there is unsatisfactoriness or, or um, stress or suffering. Uh, there is a cause, and the cause is, is uh, clinging to what is changing. There is the release or cessation of dukkha, and that is uh, when we let go of any clinging. And there is the path that leads to the cessation of dukkha, and that is the Noble Eightfold Path. So it kind of goes around in a loop. So the first factor of the Noble Eightfold Path brings us back to the Noble Eightfold Path. And uh, this is a, a very important teaching because uh, with, with, with Samaditi, we're knowing, even if we can't always be with that truth in the moment, but we're knowing that everything is changing, everything is changing, everything is changing. Everything is in a state of flux. Everything has always been in a state of flux. Everything will always be in a state of flux. And uh, and then we, what happens is there's a there's an arising of something, so you can just see it in terms of this this day long actually this this weekend retreat. So there was a an I, there was a, like an idea, you know. Well, there's, it goes back and back and back. You know, there's Spirit Rock. There's a community hall's been built. There's a schedule. You know, there's a space and a schedule. There's an invitation, and uh, and then we find like yes, this works. You know, we can do these two days, and then. There's the idea of what we're going to do and working out our schedule and connecting with the Spirit Rock and, and then getting here and then you've all got here because you've seen it publicized. And then, so there's this arising of the weekend retreat. So now it's, it's, it's real. We're in it. This is it. It's happening. This, there is a, a weekend retreat going on, a non-residential. It's, it's, here it is. There's no disputing it. And, uh, <laughs> And it's going to go through its process. It's going to go through its process today. Uh, we don't know what that's going to be because it hasn't happened yet. So that's what life is like. It'll go through its process. We have a form within which the, the mystery will un- evolve and, and unfold. And then 
you know, people will go home tonight and some will come back tomorrow, maybe some other people will come as well tomorrow and the, the next day will happen and then that will get to the end and there'll be a, the cessation of the weekend retreat. And then maybe there's still some resonance of it, hopefully, in our hearts and minds and then we go off and we do our various things. And So that's for a, a retreat, but that happens with everything. Every, you know, every human being that arises in the world it happens in that same way. We we come together because of causes and conditions. We come into being. We go through this process of, of being someone, which is ever-changing, you know, like a little baby is, is one way. And as, as the baby grows, it gets more of a character, and then as it grows more, it gets more, it, develops, it learns skills and grows physically strong and, and grows into an adult, and, you know, on, on we go until it's time. Excuse me. Until it's time to to lay the body down, whenever that may be, and to to let that go, to let that story of being someone go, and uh, who knows what happens next. So everything in the universe has that same process. It comes together. There's a there's a you know it comes into existence, you could say, and then it goes through this process, and then at some point it it dissipates again. And then what dissipates turns into many, many other things. And that's how it is. And, and so the dukkha that we experience is, is because we try to make that certain. We try to make that permanent. Or we try to make what is not permanent go away faster. We also do that. You know, if it's, if it's like, like, since she does sciatica at the moment, which is why she's having to move around a little bit. And, you know, when you have sciatica, it's very painful and very unpleasant. And then the mind says, I want to get rid of it. I want it to go away, you know. And, uh, you know, if, if, she, if uh, she was having a, a very special time in meditation where she was in states of bliss, waves of bliss were coming through, then she may be thinking, oh, this is so great. I want it to last forever, you know, you know. And that's how we are with, with, uh, with feelings, you know, the painful feelings, we want them to go away quicker. And the pleasant feelings, we want them to stay longer. But they're all just in a state of flux. So it's that wanting and not wanting that creates the, the dukkha. That's where the dukkha arises. So with right understanding of samaditi, we know that, that, that it's the grasping and the wanting or the not wanting that, that is creating the dukkha. And then knowing that is an incentive to, to release our grip on our wanting and not wanting and to align ourselves with the truth of what is actually happening, which is a, an ever-unfolding mystery, a process. That is, that is not that we're not passive observers of that process, but we're... We're part of that process, and, and what we do, and what we think, and what we say, and what how we what we do in the world, and how we use our mind influences that process hugely, hugely. And then you know what's going on for each individual will also inf- influence individuals around us. So, you know, if there were no if if there were no teachers here, probably you wouldn't all be sitting here, but. Because we've, you know, been practicing and then we want to share the Dharma and you want to hear the Dharma. So then there's, so then this is arising. And that's the same for everyone. You know, if, if you're, if you're doing something good, if you have something that's going to benefit people, you know, it, it has energy. It has, it has ripples. It, re, it has repercussions. And if you're also likewise doing things that harm people or harm yourself, that, that 
that then has the knock-on effect of harming others, you know, that, you know, it's not, people aren't going to come like a magnet, but that it's still going to, you're still having an effect in the world. So just, uh, so right understanding of samaditi is, is really knowing the, the truth of the changing nature of things and that we can influence that process in a wholesome way by the way we use our body, speech and mind. And, um, and right thought or samasankapa. This is, uh, what we're doing with our minds. And uh, the Buddha gives very clear kind of guidelines because the mind is a, a vast and complex, you know, space, phenomena, experience, whatever. And But he just points to these three quite uh, straightforward um, reflections. Uh, that is the mind, um, are, are the thoughts, thoughts of uh, sensual, Desire and like a, an accumulation, or are those thoughts of of renunciation, of letting go? Are they thoughts of of harm and ill, uh, wanting to harm others, or are they thoughts of compassion? Are they thoughts of uh, ill will and aversion, or are they thoughts of kindness? So uh, you know, we can look at any moment, just turn back and look at the mind, and there's a whole mix of that stuff going on in there, you know. But the, just having that indicator, then we can check, you know, is this a, is this a thought of, you know, we, we may be caught up in a story, something's going on, and then we, it's really annoying us, and if only that person would be different. And then we check, well, so is this a thought of of ill will or, or of kindness? Uh, it's ill will. I really feel ill will towards this situation or this person. Okay, so there's ill will, and ill will is is not on the path to awakening. It doesn't lead us to awakening. So, you know, it doesn't mean that we can drop it immediately. The heart gets caught up, you know. But we can know that that's, that cultivating ill will is not going to get us to freedom. It might make us feel right. You know, it might um, give us a sense of, a strong sense of self. But it's not going to free us from dukkha. And uh, thoughts of harm, you know, sometimes when we feel you know, people in power who are using their power in a harmful way or in a frightening way, which we can all experience, you know, and then th- thoughts of harm can arise, wanting to harm. And, um, you know, when I was in my teens, I had this quite strongly in, in regard to the, the government that was around at the moment in Britain and in America, uh, and a real sense of like, I want to, want to, Get rid of these people because they're doing so much harm, and uh, and you can really kind of believe it that, that that if you could just kind of get rid of these these people, then things would be better. But to you know, any kind of annihilation isn't uh, isn't going to sort anything out. It doesn't it doesn't solve anything because the the problem is not in a, in, a, in an individual person. It is in the the basic underlying. Um, Greed, hatred, and delusion that is that is coming through, you know, many people's minds. And so, you know, if we're adding to that with our own hatred and our own delusion, it's not going to help, even though it might look like it on the short term. So, really, the the important thing is to cultivate the the practices that lead to awakening, 
and to encourage the, that in others. And then, then you're bringing something wholesome into the world. You know, we're fortunate enough to live out in the forest, out in the, in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada, which is very, very sane and very, very beautiful. And uh, I, I reflect on it, just being, being with a forest, and here we are surrounded by trees, there's a sanity and a simplicity and a naturalness and, a, and an ancient process that's been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, which is wholesome. You know, and there's a sort of a groundedness and a sanity to that. And then you see what the human race is doing, and it's like, oh my goodness, it's insane. You know, what are we doing? And, and, and it is insane. But if we only look at that, and we never look at anything else, then, then we just get pulled into that vortex of, of madness and, and um, misery, really. So to, to, to really take care around uh, your mind, what you're doing with your mind, what you're putting into your mind and what you're uh, doing with that information. And just to remember those three very simple indicators. Is it, is it increasing a desire for, sens- for sensuality? Is it, or is there a sense of renunciation? And that, that can be a little tricky for people because it's like, but sensual pleasure is nice, you know, what's wrong with it? And of course it is nice and, uh, and there can be, you know, relatively harmful sensual pleasure and there can be very harmful sensual pleasure and anything in between and uh, so to with that just to look at you know where is it leading the mind so it can be it's, it's it can be like a like a filter or like looking through a lens like, like having you know like a red red lens over the glasses and everything looks really really hot you know really like wow and then you're, but you're looking from that perspective, which is a deluded perspective. And the, 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 the awakened ones, you know, they talk about cooling, where the mind cools. And there's, uh, just seeing things as they are. And when you see things as they are, there's a, there's a, there's a cooling of the, of the wanting and of the not wanting. There's a contentment and a peace with things as they are. I mean, contentment isn't, uh, Spoken about a lot in, you know, American culture. It's not. It doesn't support the capitalist system. So it's a radical act to cultivate contentment. It's, a, it's and it's um, it's here for the for the waiting. You know, it's waiting for us to recognize it. So if we're always wanting more, better, more beautiful, more more quantity, more exciting. Or we think we should be more and better and more exciting. Then, then we're we're caught in the the trap of, of of ever of constant wanting more, constant needing more, and whatever we get, you know, we don't get that that satisfaction for more than a few moments or maybe a day or two, and then it's not satisfying again, and we're looking for the next thing again, and and we're caught on that endless wheel. So the Buddha, out of compassion has uh, shown us a way off that wheel if we want to get off. So, uh, thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-harm. So it, the wording is non-harm in the suttas and that's, and that, it can be just that. It can be just feeling a harmful feeling and then dropping it. Just dropping it. Or it can be cultivating compassion for all beings, which is very beautiful. Which is like a, a total counter to uh, wishing harm 
for beings and uh, non-ill will. And I think ill will is something that can creep in in, in many, many forms. So uh, it's like a big umbrella. Um, it can be there can be resentment. There can be you know there can be out and out uh, you know strong aversion, wanting to well, it easily slips into wanting to harm actually. But there can be just a, a, a sort of a low grade, like not liking you know not wanting things to be like this. Boredom, boredom is a, is an aspect of ill will. Uh, fear is an aspect of ill will. It's all to do with not wanting, not wanting, not wanting. So uh, noticing where that uh, not wanting comes in, that ill will comes in, and, and just seeing, can I turn that around? Can I turn that around to being, so if it's boredom, can I turn that around to being interested, curious? Curiosity is, is uh, one of the factors of awakening, so then you're back on the path to awakening again. Being curious and interested. Um, or... Or that you, or you, there's somebody who's just driving you up the wall, and you know maybe at work, and then you come home, and then they're still with you, they're churning around in your heart, and they're they're in your relationships at home, and then you go to bed, and they're with you, and they, and you come back to work the next day, and then you've already primed yourself for them, and on it goes, and on it goes, yeah. So it's you know that's it's a, it's easy to slip into that, but it's a miserable experience. So. See, is it possible to not to say, I love you, I think you're really great, you know, they don't do that, but, but just to say, just to see, can you breathe in a quality of well-being into your own heart and breathe it out for the benefit of all beings and including that being? You don't even have to focus on that being, but just that, that they're part of the, of the everyone, of the everything that, uh, that uh, sense of benevolence can be for, for all beings. Just to see if you can do that. And not let them take over your life. Not let that aversion take over your life. So those are the, the first two factors of the Eightfold Path. And they're the wisdom factors. And if you have right understanding, it, everything gets so much easier. Any moment. And it's not like you have to get it all down, you know. Have right understanding forever. But it's any moment, right understanding in this moment, it's all of the constructs fall apart and it's, there's just this. It's all, it's all like this, okay, it's okay. So right understanding is the, is the beginning. In, in some ways it's the beginning and the ending, but it, it, it supports all of the rest of the path. And, uh, and then we'll go on to speak later about uh, right speech, right action and right livelihood. And they're more considered like the ethics of the path. And then uh, right effort. Right effort is partly ethics and it's partly in the, in the concentration or meditation part. So it sort of goes between, it covers both. And then right mindfulness and right concentration are more the, the, um, the meditative aspects of the path. So... Uh, all of that belongs together, and, and it's written in a, in, a, in a list. And it kind of works as a list, but it also works as a spiral in a way. You know, it's not that you have, to, you have to do one before you can do the next, before you can do the next. Because right mindfulness, which comes towards the end, can support, you know, right speech, 
by an action. So they're not, uh, it's not linear, but it's in a way they, they kind of arise together or they can arise together. And then over these days, just to, for you to explore in your own lives, you know, where are the strong points, where are the weak points? And really appreciate the strong points because you're all going to have them. You're all going to have things here that you do well. And then there'll be things where it's like, well, that's kind of, can't really do that one very well. And then you know, you can, you can, you can enjoy and, and feel encouraged by the strong points and then you can work on the weak points. Um, and the, you know, the incentive really is to be awake. To wake up to the truth of the way things are. So I want to read a little quote from the Buddha. <clears throat> he says, I see no factor so responsible for the arising of unwholesome states of mind as wrong view. And I see no factor so helpful for the arising of wholesome states as right view. There is no single factor so responsible for the suffering of living beings as wrong view. And there is no single factor so potent in the promoting of good, of the good of living beings as right view. So there's no single factor so responsible for the suffering of living beings as wrong view. And there is no factor so potent in promoting the good of living beings as right view. So it's a beautiful incentive. So, um, so again, just remembering those four noble truths that, you know, when, when dukkha arises, to know it as dukkha, stress, unsatisfactoriness, aversion, uh, suffering, any of those things. And it's, it's a spectrum. It can be very subtle and it can be very, very, very strong. And there's a whole lot in between. And, and what tends to happen is that the, we feel the dukkha and then we immediately identify with it and we want to get rid of it. Or we want to blame it on somebody else or something else. And then we're kind of caught. We're already caught because we've, we've bought into it as a, as a reality, as a, as a, as a, um, as a something. We've bought into it, and so to recognise there is dukkha, it has a cause. The cause of dukkha is is clinging, attachment, identification. All of those things are the cause of dukkha, and there is a cessation of dukkha, and the cessation of dukkha comes from letting go. And uh, I quite often use this analogy of letting go. You know, we often think of letting go as is getting rid of. So I've, I've got this striker and I'm going to get rid of it so I throw it down there. We think we've got to kind of get rid of it and that's what letting go is. But letting go, it can look like this where it drops out of my hand or it can look like this where it stays in my hand but it's just there. And sometimes it's like that. You know, Sometimes we can let go of, you know, maybe there's a really difficult situation and they're driving us crazy and, and the mind's churning around and around on it and and we can't let go, and we can't let go, and then, and then there can be a letting because we want it to go away. That's why we can't let go because we want it to go away, and maybe it's not going to go away, or maybe it's not going to go away for as as quickly as we'd like it to. It will go away eventually. We will go away eventually. 
Um, so then we can let go in a way that just allowing it to be like this. Okay, it's like this. It's really difficult. It's driving me crazy. It's, it's, it's painful. And it's like this. And it's like this. So that's letting go. And then when we can hold it with more space in that way, then there's less, there's less fighting. There's less, we're not feeding into it. We're not, uh, we're not able to stop it, but we're not feeding into it. And so it's, then we're allowing the, the, you could say the karmic process or the process to, to end in its own way, in its own time. And we're letting go of the wish to control, you know, that it, that we have life the way we want it to be. So we can do that a little bit. We can, you know, we can make life the way we want it to be a little bit. Here we all are together doing this, which is great. So we can do some. But, you know, ultimately life's doing what it's doing. And, uh, people are as they are. And, uh, the world is a crazy old world, and it always has been. So, you know, learning how to to make space for the way things are. And that doesn't mean being passive and not caring and not changing things. You know, as we go in, it's like right, right speech, right action. We can, we can change things. But, it's, uh, but we're changing it from a place of... of um, of our own groundedness rather than from a place of desperation or, or incredible frustration. So the desperation, the frustration comes in when we're, we're deeply at odds with the way things are. And I think because of, you know, having so much access to media now, you know, we, we know so much of what's going on all over the world according to what the media wants to tell us, which is slanted. And, uh, and, and at one time we didn't see so much. But if you, if you look back over history, there's some pretty gruesome times in history. It's not, you know, you can, you can think that we're in a really bad time now. I mean, in many ways we're in a good time now. And in many ways we're in a very bad, really dangerous time. But if you look back over history, there's been some pretty horrendous times. And so the world is, is a kind of crazy. And it has been for a long time. So it's making the world from grassroots, from each blade of grass here, making the world a place of sanity and of, of generosity and of goodness. You know, it's like one person at a time and then also connecting with each other. Because, uh, and, and the Buddha isn't trying to change the world, actually. He's not, that's not his mission. But he's recognizing, you know, the world is like this. And so wake up, wake up to the reality. Wake up to the truth of the way things are. And do good as much as you can. Benefit beings as much as you can. In this short lifespan that we have. So that's my offering this morning. So let's, uh, we can chant the the mantra of the Eightfold Path. So we wanted you to just get to hear it a little bit and it might stay with you. Uh, It works now, yeah? Okay. Okay. So we're just going to... So you can do either side. You can can do it... On the back it's got it with the the diacritics if you can read... If you're familiar what they mean. So a, a, a line over the A makes the line long. 
Sama, double M. And when there's a double consonant, it's a long syllable. I'm going to get a little technical now. So it's like Sama, and then you've got double T, Ditti. It's like in Italian, they call it doppio. You've got a double. Sama, Ditti, Sama, Sankapa, Sama, Vacha, Sama, Kamanta, Sama, Ajiva, Sama, Vayama, Sama, Sati, Sama, Samadhi. Samaditi Samma Sankapa Samma Vacha Samma Kamanta Samma Ajiva Samma Vayama Samma Sati Samma Samadhi Samaditi Sama Sankapa Sama Vacha Sama Kamanta Sama Ajiva Sama Vayama Sama Sati Sama Samati Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.